This morning we are going to look at verses 12 through, I was going to do verse 20 to verse 25, I don't know if I'll get that far this morning, but let's have a word of prayer. Father, this morning as we do come before you as your people, as we break open the word of God, I pray, Lord, you would teach us from the word about not only what is in the context, but also how it relates to our life. And I pray, Lord, each one of us would be able to have the Word of God to be able to examine ourselves, to see where we stand with you, to see where we are spiritually, to see if we've made any progress since we professed you as our Lord and Savior. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us direction and guidance from this passage this morning. In Christ's name, I pray it. Amen. So Mark chapter 11, verse number 12 through 14, it says this. On the next day, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Now, as you're reading through the Word of God, you'll find that you come to a passage of Scripture like this and you may breeze by it and not understand what exactly is going on here. And I said already that Mark's gospel embodies the record of what, what the Apostle Peter preached and taught about Jesus. The Apostle Peter was the eyewitness. Mark is writing from what he witnessed. And, he's, and so Peter is transferring to Mark what happened when he was following Jesus. So that means that the Gospel of Mark is the nearest approach that we'll ever possess to an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus Christ. Now, the last time in the Gospel of Mark, we discovered that Jesus had to be welcomed into Jerusalem in his true character. He rode into the city on a donkey, on a colt, as the king of Israel, everything said about Jesus in the text was true. However, the crowd came to a wrong, wrong conclusion. The crowd that was following Jesus, not only meeting him coming out of Jerusalem, but going with him into Jerusalem, the crowd sought to give Jesus a conqueror's welcome. So that meant that the crowd had a mistaken understanding of Jesus the Messiah and his mission. The crowd's cry of Hosanna, and of course Hosanna meaning save now, was mistaken and misplaced joy because they wanted God to break in and save his people now that the Messiah had come. So the crowd sought the protection of a king who would come to conquer Israel's enemies. That's what they were thinking. So the crowd did not get, they did not see that 
the sorrow of the cross must take place before true joy can come. Before any victory can come, there must become there must be the cross first. So Jesus did not come first to purge Israel of foreign denomination. No, he came to purge his people of their sin. Christ came and paid the ransom in order to secure the release of his people, who were, of course, held captive to sin. The ransom was offered to the Father, God the Father, against whom, of course, we had sinned and who alone had the power to inflict the penalty of eternal condemnation. So then Jesus saw us and caught us and delivered us from the slave market of sin. He had pity on us in our hopeless situation by paying the ransom price. And, of course, that ransom price was his own blood in order to redeem us out of slavery and to bring us into the family of God. So the crowd did not see Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. They did not see that that would purchase a release from the bondage that people were in because of their sin, the bondage of many sinners who would believe in him. They didn't see that. They missed that. And the crowd usually misses it. The crowd usually gets it wrong because there's too many influences on the crowd and too much information that distorts their view of things. See, Jesus' triumph would come from his death on the cross and his resurrection. Now, if you look at verse number 11 of chapter 11, it says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple, and after looking around at everything. So that was, was, that's what Jesus did. He rode into the Jerusalem on a colt. He showed himself as the king of Israel, of course, a lowly king, a king who's not coming the first time to give triumph over enemies, but a king who is coming to die on a cross. Now, that's an oxymoron. Uh, because it doesn't make any sense in the minds of the people. But here, Jesus then goes to the temple. Now, remember, the temple was a place in which God dwelt among his people. That's where the people went to worship, to be taught, to offer their sacrifices, to pray to him. So Jesus went there, and he was looking around to see how things have been going. So entry into the city took place late Sunday afternoon. Now, I want to remind you that this last third of the Gospel of Mark is the last seven days of Jesus' life, of of Jesus' passion, all right? So that means that when Jesus got into the city, he went to the temple to look around, and while he's in the temple looking around, he's noticing, he's noting the abuses that had crept into the temple. Then later that Sunday afternoon, Jesus and his disciples headed back to Bethany to get some rest. And if you look at the last part of verse 11, it says, he left for Bethany with the 12, the 12 that would be his apostles, and since it was already late. So he didn't do anything on that first day. He waited for Monday. 
All right? So now it's Monday. And Jesus and his disciples are making their way back to Jerusalem. We know that it's early in the morning because Jesus left Bethany without having breakfast. If you notice in verse 12, it says on the next day, that's Monday, when they, they, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. All right, now here again, Mark is not missing any opportunity of giving a human picture of Jesus. Jesus got hungry like all of us get hungry. And so the Bible, though, stresses that he became hungry. Now, his hunger lays the groundwork for the story, for the narrative that's coming. Now, in our narrative, there are two warnings that we need to seriously consider in order to evaluate our present spiritual condition. Now, this morning, I'm going to look at the first warning. But now, I want you to notice how we get there. So we're going to examine our text, and we're going to notice first the Lord's cursing of the fig tree. All right, now, notice what it says in verse number 13. It says this, seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. All right, so he is looking at the fig tree from a distance, and it appears, it appears to Jesus that it has signs of fruit. In other words, what he sees looking at the fig tree could satisfy his hunger. Now, Jesus saw the fig tree in full foliage, which means possible fruit. Now, let me give you a little information about figs in that part of the world, or you'll miss the point. See, fig trees sprouted buds that remained undeveloped throughout the winter. These buds swelled into small knobs called in the Hebrew, pagum. Now, they usually came out in March and April. Now, we know this is March or April, uh, March or April in, in this context. This is springtime. So the fig tree thus produces these knobs before leaves. Once the fig tree has leaves on it, then, of course, you would expect to find it loaded with these pagums, right, at various stages of uh, maturity. So in the spring, these pagums are not yet ripened into mature summer figs, which you can pluck off the branches, but they can be eaten. And, of course, often the natives do eat them. In fact, in the Old Testament book of Hosea, chapter 9, it gives reference to the figs, and it says this, like the, the, it says, like the first fruit of the fig in the first season. So it's talking about this season in springtime where you can pick these uh, nodes off and you can eat them and they are edible to the taste. So the fig tree... By close examination, though, 
only has leaves and no fruit. And if you notice in verse 13, it says this in the middle of the verse, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In other words, there was no mature figs on the tree yet, but there should have been the, these nodules that were able to be picked off and eaten. So Jesus did not even find a little immature fruit on it. The full f foliage was there, but there was only leaves and no fruit. This leafy fig tree with all its promise of fruit in order to satisfy hunger, turns out to be deceptive, unfruitful, and unable to gratify the appetite. So, what does Jesus do? Well, he curses it. Right? He curses. Look at verse 14. His curse is meant for the ears of his disciples. It says in verse 14, he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. That was for their ears specifically. So Jesus is taking his event of being hungry and teaching a very, very, very important lesson. And of course, we are told the next day the fig tree was found dried up from its roots. Look at verse number 19. Go, uh, skip ahead to verse number 19 of Mark 11. It says, when evening came, they would go out of the city. Verse 20, it says, and they were passing by in the morning, and they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Verse 21, being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. Now, you cannot doubt for a moment that there is a prophetic and a spiritual lesson to be gleaned from this whole transaction. It is not just about a withered fig tree that had no fruit. See, these verses bring to our attention this first warning that I mentioned this morning. And it is the warning of the danger of unfruitfulness. The danger of not having any evidence that you are actually alive spiritually. I titled this message and the next one too, Spiritual Barrenness. Now this becomes very important to us because the prophetic lesson is that Israel is under God's condemnation. All right? So all their history, all Israel's history was a preparation for the coming of God's chosen one, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Israel, Israel's teachers should have borne much fruit in preparation of the nation to receive Jesus as the Messiah and as the king. See, the whole promise of their national record was that when the chosen one came, when Jesus came, they would eagerly receive him. But when he did come, that promise was tragically 
unfulfilled. When Jesus did come, what did the nation of Israel do? They rejected him. They wanted a king that was going to take over and establish a government that would rule over all other governments and topple the Roman government. But Jesus didn't come the first time to do that. He came again as a humble servant to die on a cross. So you see Israel, with their great boast of being God's favored people, failed to produce spiritual fruit that it, it professed as a nation to have. So you see Israel from a distance had the promise of fruit, which should have been evident when Messiah came onto the human seeing, providing spiritual nutrition for the rest of the nation and for the rest of the world. But at close examination, there is only a lot of leaves. There was nothing to satisfy spiritual hunger. There is nothing of nutritious value. There is nothing to lead one into a meaning relationship with God in the nation of Israel. So see, the curse is on those who claim to be something else than what they say or what, what is actually seen in their life, who give an appearance of some level of maturity but have no fruit at all in their life. Those who are barren of all fruits of the Spirit, having a profession of faith, yes, but full of leafy branches without fruit. So see, there is a warning against empty profession in Christianity. There's a warning against an empty profession of Christianity unaccompanied by sound doctrine and holy living. It is called hypocrisy. It is called play acting. Being something, an actor usually plays someone they're really not, but they convince you by their act that they are that person. See, he is saying there must be spiritual fruit in your hearts and in the practice of your life. Everyone needs to have spiritual fruit. So this is not a, just a message for God cursing a fig tree, pointing to the nation of Israel. It's pointing to all of us. See, no one, no person can claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and remain and entirely unlike the master whom he or she professes to love. See, we must, after we profess Christ as our Lord and Savior, we must bear fruit or, like the cursed fig tree, be lost forever. See, that is the message for us this morning. Because you may be saying to yourself, what kind of fruit should I have in my Christian experience? What should I look for in my own life? What are the practices that I need to notice? See, what are the criteria for entrance into the kingdom of God 
and continuing in the faith. What are the criteria? Well, there are, of course, two criteria. The first criteria is regeneration or being born again. It's turning from God and, of course, turning from sin to God, turning from your unbelief to the Lord Jesus Christ, turning from your idolatry to God. That's the first thing that we need to consider. So that means, like in Acts chapter 20, it says, solemnly testifying both Jews to the Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the second thing would be very obvious. Once you profess Christ as your Lord and Savior, your life has to have something different in it. Something changes from the inside out, not from the outside in. You're not trying to change the outside. You're, trying, you're not actually changing the inside. God's changed the inside. Now that inside is going to bear fruit. That means all Christians are going to have fruit on their branches. They're not just going to have a bunch of leaves with no fruit. They're going to have fruit. So that means that a genuine, genuine believer is someone who is going to grow in godly character. They're going to grow in not only their character, but their actions, how they live their life. Now, of course, it was our Lord Jesus Christ himself who told us in Scripture. Now, if you'd like to turn over to Mark, excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, the first gospel, real quick, and turn to chapter 7, verse number 15 through 20, because the Lord again talks about fruit there, and this was the fruit of the leadership of Israel, but this applies to all of us uh, in some way. In Matthew 7, verse number 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. So if we apply this to believers, how do I know that you're a believer? How does anybody know that you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, you will know them by their fruits, not by just their leaves, not just by the out external uh, view of somebody to say, looks like they're a believer, sounds like they're a believer, their language is like a believer, it looks like they're, they're, they're kind of like a believer. But then when you get closer and examine their fruit, if there is none, that person is not a believer. But if there is even some, even if there's some nodes, nodules on there, then there's some level of growth. There's some level of maturity. So see, in other words, we need to examine ourselves to make sure that we are not just leafy trees, which give the appearance of fruit, but are at close examination 
none can be found. So we need to look at several things. And one of the things that we can look at is the fruit of our being connected to Christ. All right? Being connected to Christ. All right? Again, the Lord Jesus Christ talks about this in the Word of God. In other words, you ha- if you are a believer, you're connected to him. You're, you have union with him. You are going to bear fruit because you are just a branch on the vine. If a branch is cut off a vine, there's no, no way that that branch could get any kind of nutritious value from the main part of the tree unless it's connected, right? Well, that's who we are in Christ. We are connected to Christ. In fact, again, in the Gospels of John, chapter 15, Jesus again gives us an understanding, verse number 1, John 15, 1 through 6, this whole thing about fruitfulness. I want you to see it. You should be reading these passages because it's important for you to see it in the Bible of what is being said by Jesus about Fruit. Notice what it says in verse number 1 of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. It says in verse 1, I am the vine, the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you as uh, the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. But notice verse number 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So in other words, something that doesn't bear fruit comes under God's examination and ultimately under God's judgment because God knows if we, the Lord Jesus Christ knows, the Spirit of God knows whether we're bearing fruit or if we're just faking it, if we're just sliding in. He knows that. So see, we need to be abiding in the true vine, which is Jesus Christ. And when we do, we will bear spiritual fruit. That also means that we should look for the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that once a believer becomes, uh, can professes Christ and has the Spirit of God living in him and her, the Spirit of God is going to produce certain particular fruit. It is fruit that can be identified very clearly in Scripture. If you care to turn there, but just listen, you may listen. Galatians 5, to 25 tells us that the manifestation of this Fruit is walking in the Spirit. But walking in the Spirit can be identified in its particulars. In Galatians 5, verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, there it again is that fruit, is, and it's singular, that means all these are one, 
These aren't happening separately. They're happening all at the same time. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Verse 24, now those who belong to Christ Jesus, there's that belonging to Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So you see that someone who is a believer and has the Spirit of God living in them, there are certain things they can see when it comes to the fruit. Have I been growing in these things all at one time? Not in full maturity, but can I see them at all? And then also my responsibility is, is that when I see my sin, I put my sin to death. But I put to death my sin because my passions for those sins and my desires for those sins have been crucified already. And so if the cross of Christ is going to be a reality in my life, then I must bear the fruit of the Spirit. And in verse number 25 of Galatians 5, it says, if we walk by the Spirit, we will, if it says, if we live by the Spirit, we will also walk by the Spirit. So we see in Scripture that these things are going to be evident in a believer's life, even in, in a very uh, small form, but they are going to be growing in these things. And as they grow in Christ, as they're connected to the vine, then they're going to be growing more and more and more in these fruits. You have to ask yourself, do I have these fruits in my life? Specifically, before I trusted Christ, how different is my life? Do I have these fruits? Because there's going to, underneath that, there's going to be fruits of words, right? I speak and talk differently. I love the passage of Scripture. Proverbs has a lot to say about words, but Proverbs 18 and verse number 20 and 21, listen to what it says. It says, with the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach will be satisfied. He will be satisfied with the product of his lips. And then it said this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. See, in other words, our fruit, our fruit can be seen in our words. All right? How are we speaking to other people? How are we talking to those people who are antagonistic against us? How, is, how are we as husbands and wives speaking to each other? See, is there fruit there in your life that can show in your words that you're connected to Christ and that you're walking in the Spirit? What about your actions? Again, Isaiah chapter 3, verse number 10. Listen to what it says. Say to the righteous that it will go well with them, for they will eat the fruit of their actions. Don't we often eat the fruit of our actions? It's usually by sticking our foot in our mouth. All right? Uh, we shouldn't have said and did that. We shouldn't act it like that. All right? Now, that could be evidence of a believer being more sensitive to the way you act, to what you say and how you say it to the tone in which you say it in. All those things are examined by us. Why? Because we want to see the fruit of being connected to Christ. 
We want to be, see the fruit of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. What about the fruit of righteousness or right living? It says in Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous, it says, is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. See, there's a righteous behavior that comes into our life because of the Spirit of God, because we're connected to the vine that wasn't there before we trusted Christ. We want to do what's right. That's the passion of our heart. Those lusts and desires have been replaced with different kinds of passions. One of them is to live right in all areas of your life, to examine everything. Now, there's one passage I do want you to turn to, and it's Psalm chapter 128 in verse number 1 through 4. Because this is kind of a picture of someone bearing fruit by fearing God. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? By fearing God, fruit will be evident not only in their life, but in the life of their family. And I want you to know how Psalm 128 puts it. Here's the fruit. I'm calling it the fruit of the fear of the Lord. It says in verse 1, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat the fruit of your hands, you will be happy, and it will be well with you. And then notice in verse number 3, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. And then in, it says your children like olive plants around your table. Don't you want your children to look like olive plants around your table? Of course, of course, it doesn't mean that literally, does it? It means that olive uh, plants uh, has a, a very significant value on and use in not only cooking, but in all kinds of other ways that it's a, it's a, it's a view of them being blessed and nourished and being healthy and being someone who uh, is obedient to their parents. And are, why? Because the fear of the Lord, look at verse 4, behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So God is near that family because somebody bears the fruit of fearing God, having reverence for him, thinking very seriously about living for the Lord. And then there is the fruit of the love of Scripture, the love of continuing in the Word of God. It was Jesus who said this to his to his disciples, but he, he was saying to those Jews who had believed in him in John chapter 8, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And what will the truth do? It will make you free. All right, that's what the truth will do. So see, you're looking for the truth of love of the word of God, and not only love for it, but continuing in it, continuing to study it, continuing to love it, continuing to put it into practice. And then what about the fruit of sanctified imagination? You know, when we examine our sin, we ought to be examining our sin in our mind. All right? Our mind is being transformed and sanctified. So then it means that what you think, that's where you ought to go. What are you thinking about all the time? 
What are you imagining in your mind all the time? What kind of fantasies do you have in your mind? If they're not righteous, if they don't give you the picture of being connected to Christ and having the Holy Spirit, then you need to put that to death because that passion for those things have already been crucified. Remember what Paul told the Philippian church in Philippians 4.8. He said this to them, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report or repute, if there is any excellence or if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. See, that's where our mind ought to be. And when our mind is there, then we're going to, in our imagination, and all of us have an imagination. It just depends on what you're doing there. What are you thinking about in your imagination? That's what you ought to be thinking. Be honest with yourself. If you've got things going on in your mind that are filthy and dirty and worldly all the time, in fact, you enjoy thinking about those things, well, then you really have to say, what kind of fruit do I have? What kind of things? These don't please the Lord. The Lord knows what's going on in your mind. That's why in a passage of Scripture in Matthew where it says, if you even look at a woman to lust after her, you committed adultery. And that's for a man or a woman, right? Why is that? Because looking at someone and, and then imagining is what the Lord is, he gets at the root of sin, not when the fruit of the sin is already on the branches. He's going to the heart. Remember, it's, it's the, the word of God cuts to the deepest recesses of our heart. It's a scalpel. The word of God's a scalpel, and it's cutting deep into our private thinking, our private lives. It, the Lord wants to break open that door, and he wants you to see and admit and confess that in your thought life, you have not been honorable before the Lord. You have not feared God. You have loved your sin. You say, well, I don't, I'm not committing the sin, but you're loving your sin in your mind. See, God wants all of you. He wants every single part of us. So if we're going to bear, if we're going to be a tree, a fig tree that just has leaves, you know, and hopefully when we get up close to it, there's fruit on, on the branches too, that's what you want. You want to have a sanctified imagination. And, of course, the fruit of increased faith and the fruit of prayer and the fruit of forgiveness and the fruit of service and good works. Like in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 10, listen what it says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and then increasing in the knowledge of God. The more you increase in the knowledge of God, the greater your faith gets, and the greater your faith gets, the more fruitful you are in all areas of your life. And then, of course, one of the last things is the fruit of souls. The fruit of desiring to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and the willingness to be the mouthpiece for that to happen, to be able to tell someone about it, 
It's even Paul who said in several passages of scriptures, but in Romans, he says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I plan to come to you, but I have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you, meaning souls. And then he says this, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. So for my, my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So you have to honestly say to yourself, do I bear any of these fruit? Is there any level of maturity that I see in my life? And believe me, if you don't see, you need to turn. If you don't see any at all, you may need to come and believe in Christ. But if you do see some, thank the Lord for that, but don't be satisfied with a little bit, all right? Don't be satisfied with the immature, you know, unripened figs. Be satisfied when you get to the mature figs. And God now then uses you to be an example to others, a worthy example from the inside out. Someone who can, like Paul says, if follow me, but then he says, as I follow Christ, right, that you can be a worthy servant that follows Christ and you can get people to follow you. That's what you want. That's where God's taking us. So wherever you go, you're going to be a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, other things may not be reliable to evaluate where you're at. See, a lot of activity in your life is not something that you can evaluate or the appearance of spirituality and devotion to God. Those, Those all can be very, very external things. You know, people are sometimes very emotional when they're doing things for the Lord, but it, it could all be very outward. You know, people also have the ability to really uh, take a, even a uh, biblical concept and explain it, but that doesn't mean that they are growing in godliness. In fact, the Lord himself said, listen, many people are going to practice very spectacular things in my name. And then what does he say about them? He says, for not everyone who says to me in Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you, you who practice lawlessness. I don't see any fruit on your branches. I don't see anything that could allow me to let you into my kingdom. You are forever barred. You are cursed forever. See, God has that power to do that. So in other words, that the only... The only sure thing that we really have is that are you being sanctified in a way by the Spirit of God to really have the character of God formed in your life? Are you that person? Can you say that I have that kind of fruit? 
Because you know what? When it comes right down to it, everybody sometime or another is going to doubt their salvation. They are. I did. You will. But there's a coming time that you can't, you can't doubt your salvation anymore. You have to be convinced that you are a believer because not you made a profession 10 years ago, but you got fruit right now today in your life. You have fruit yesterday and last month and last year, and you have been growing in, and increasing in the knowledge of God and in the character of God every single day of your life. And so you get to the point where the Spirit of God convinces you and assures you that you are a child of God by your fruit, by your profession, by your fruit, by your testimony. That's why every time somebody comes up to you and says, hey, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. The next thing you got to ask them is what? What's your testimony, right? Look, tell me, you, how did that all happen? How did it all go down? And if, if somebody turns to you, which they have, when I asked that a couple times, and I said, testimony, they said, testimony, what's that? You, you know there's something wrong. You know that if they can't give an answer to the hope that lies within them, there's something wrong. A Christian knows what happened to them. Right? They know and desire to bear fruit every day of all their life. Now, just consider the text again. Now, it do, we're going to look at this next week. but So it doesn't really mean that just because people have leaves on the branches that there's no movement in their life or... There's an appearance of life on the surface. In many cases, that is the case with people. See, leaves of religious formality can be often found in abundance in someone's life. There may be a lot of activity in someone's life. There may be an appearance of organization, of spirituality, of devotion to God. However, after close examination, it is found to be just the trappings of formal religion and therefore ends up being spiritually barren of any kind of lasting fruit. Just going through the motions without the heart engaged. That's a horrible place to be. It really is. In fact, repeated religious routine could be deadly especially if it's not accompanied by examination. That's why a, a text like this applied and ex uh, put to our life can just honestly examine ourselves to where we stand with God. And that's so vitally important to him. So outwardly, things can be in order in a person's life, but inwardly, things are not right. And God knows that. He knows that. In fact, when Jesus views the religious establishment, he doesn't give a pretty picture of them at all. And this is what he says about them in, in Matthew 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear 
righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, that is the first warning. The first warning being this. The warning of unfruitfulness in your life. And unfruitfulness, that is, uh, if there's never any fruit in your life, then there's no salvation. But if you are a believer and there's fruit, then keep growing in that fruit. Keep moving forward, pressing forward, abide in Christ. And believe me, you will be happy about that. And you'll be blessed because of it, as the scripture says in Psalms. And you'll be actually emboldened by it to be a witness for God. And to, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on around you, you will live for Christ. No one can convince you otherwise. So see, next week we'll pick up the second warning to seriously consider it in order to evaluate our spiritual condition. And you'll have to come next week to find out what that is. So let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning because, Lord, as I, I consider your word and I can, as, as I consider the event that happened here, I see, Lord, how important it was for you to make sure that your disciples understood not only did the nation of Israel not bear fruit, when they should have. But Lord, all those who profess you as Lord and Savior should examine themselves as to whether they bear fruit. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us an honest examining heart to look at ourselves and to begin to evaluate properly from Scripture where is our fruit? And, Lord, if we can't see it ourselves, Lord, let us get with someone who knows us well enough to say, yes, you have it or you don't have it, or you have it in this area and you don't have it in that. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to examine ourselves so we gain more confidence and more boldness to be followers of Jesus Christ that are unashamed of the word of God, unashamed of you, and really want to make a mark in this world not wanting to spin our wheels anymore, but wanting, Lord, to be faithful to you and faithful to the word of God, wanting to bear the fruit of the Spirit and not of the flesh, wanting to abide in Christ because we know that without abiding in him, we have no hope of growth or fruit. So, Lord, this morning, just allow us to take these truths and use them in a very practical way this week and I pray, Lord, that we would come to a very honest conclusion, and whatever that conclusion may be, Lord, bring us to a place of repentance, of trusting in Christ alone for salvation. And, Lord, if we see that some fruit, that our prayer would be to grow in more fruit, to never be satisfied where we're at in our Christian walk and life, but to always desire more and more and more of Christ. So please do that amongst us, Lord and mature us and use us the way you have intended in Scripture. And I pray all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.